we saw last week that uh, the Bible kind of begins and ends uh, in the same way. It begins with God's people uh, under God's rule in God's place in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2. And Revelation 21, it ends with God's people under God's rule in God's place, new heaven and a new earth. And, and so there's this interesting thing where Jesus arrives, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus inaugurates, Jesus initiates, Jesus begins his kingdom uh, here on earth, but it doesn't come to completion until he returns. So we are kind of living in this in-between period where the kingdom is promised, the kingdom has begun, the kingdom is in some ways already, but in some ways not yet, and theologians call this the already but not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. And so we get this tension, we look around, we look outside, and we see that things aren't the way that we think they should be. And, And we could apply that to all sorts of aspects of culture, uh, of our world, uh, and this morning we'll even see with regards to our own bodies and wanted to ask this question, how do we live in this in-between period where we look forward to what will come but also have hope for today? How do we live in this in-between? And so I'd ask you to open up to Matthew chapter 9, if you would. We're going to read a fairly lengthy portion uh, of Scripture, and I want us to get a sense today, a clearer sense of what Jesus is doing, of what the Lord is going to do when he makes all things new, as we read last week from Revelation 21.5, a clearer sense of what that looks like so that we can see some very practical implications of his future and present work for our lives today. How do we live in the in-between? Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 18, uh, some very practical effects of the fall of the curse of Genesis 3, uh, that being our broken bodies, our decaying, dying, broken bodies. Matthew 9, starting in verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and he followed him with the disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffering from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her faith faith, said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion... He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in. He took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went out throughout all that district. Verse 27, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that no one knows about it. But they went away, and they spread his fame throughout all that district. Verse 32. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. 
And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Four counts, four healings, four reminders that our bodies in this in-between stage before uh, Jesus returns, before all things are made new, as described in Revelation 21.5, our bodies are broken. Four reminders that our bodies are decaying. Four reminders that we will all get sick. Four reminders that at some point we will all die. Four reminders that our bodies have not been resurrected, have not been made new yet, although one day uh, they will be. Let's take a look at each of those uh, four characters because I wanted to see that, that they are truly broken, but also have us be reminded that nothing is broken beyond Jesus' repair. Nothing is broken beyond Jesus' repair. The first guy that we meet is this religious ruler, Um, And just put yourself in in his shoes. I mean, he must feel like time has run out. They've tried everything. Nothing has worked. And his daughter has died. Time has run out. There is no hope left. And he comes to Jesus. And some of you you, uh, have been in that situation where you, you have, or maybe even are now, where you might say, it feels like for me, time has run out. My opportunity uh, has run out. Uh, maybe I'm approaching end of life. My time has run out. Maybe a condition that you have uh, physically, you feel like your time has run out. That's where this religious leader is. No more options. Time has run out. How about this lady? Twelve years with this illness 12 years as an outsider 12 years not allowed to be part of any ceremonial thing any religious festival any sacrifice any observant 12 years not able to be touched because of the blood she was unclean imagine for 12 years trying to figure out everything that you could seeing every doctor in town and nothing works you've tried everything And she's left with the reality that how she is now is how she will always be. Nothing to expect, nothing to look forward to, just more bad days ahead. Physically, some of you guys are there. We have many people who struggle with chronic pain. uh, All sorts of things where you can't see a future. The doctors have said they have done all that they can. And the reality is, is that outside of a miracle... There's nothing to expect but more difficult days ahead. How about the blind men? Uh, They're reminded every day that they are dependent on others for the most basic of things. No autonomy, no independence. To get to the dinner table, they need help. To get to the restroom, they need help. To get around town, they need help. They can beg. That's about all they can do for themselves. Talk about being aware that you can't fix what's broken about you. Talk about being aware that you're a burden to other people. Some of us feel that way. Um, Could be a physical issue. Could be a mental uh, issue. We feel like burdens to other people. As our bodies break down, we feel like burdens to other people. We're dependent on others, and we hate being dependent. But when we're independent, uh, things don't go well. They're reminded every day of their moment-by-moment dependence upon others. And then how about that demon-possessed man? Ooh. He's mute. He has no control of his body. He can't speak. He's completely controlled by this demon. He's completely lost control 
to the evil that is inside of him. Some of us have have felt that, completely controlled by the evil uh, inside of us, battling uh, addiction, battling some sin, battling lust, battling anxiety, battling depression. We feel completely lost to this evil that seems to just ensnare us, that we seem to be entangled in. Uh, That's where these individuals are are at, uh, and maybe you feel that way, that you're battling sin, that it's a battle, but you don't experience it as a battle. You experience it more as a tug-of-war, kind of like we do at Vacation Bible School with kids, where the kids do tug-of-war, and then that's kind of fun, but what's more fun is to get the adults on one side and the kids on the other, and then they talk and talk and talk. We're going to destroy you. We've got this. We've got this. And then it takes, what, half a second for the adults just to tug, and all the kids go, dunk. Um, and that's what it feels like sometimes in that battle of sin. The devil just tugs on the tug of war. You fall on your face, and you do it again the next day. One of the things that we want to be reminded of as we see the physical brokenness of these individuals, if we see the power of sin over the demon-oppressed man, is that Genesis 3 is a real thing. The curse that happened in the garden is a real thing that plagues us today. Uh, Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Well, not anymore. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Uh, record what God says to Adam Uh, his part of the curse. Let me read this as a reminder of why our bodies, why the world around us is broken. Genesis 3, uh, 17. And to Adam, he said this, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From verse 17, the ground's cursed. Thistles, thorns, some of you are gardeners, you love to garden and you battle bugs and you battle thorns and you battle thistles and you're reminded that you're battling against the ground, you're battling against the creation, it works against you, not for you. We see all sorts of evidences of a very hostile creation. Just look back over the last few years. Uh, We've seen tsunamis. We've seen earthquakes. We've seen hurricanes. We've seen tornadoes. I mean, large waves took the life of a young child in Cannon Beach just this weekend. Uh, You might pay on vacation to go swimming with dolphins, but if you want to go swimming with sharks, you get into a cage because the sharks want to eat you. There's a battle Uh, The world is broken. It works against us. We're fighting in it. We're straining against it in this life. It's broken, and and so are we. we. From verse uh, 19, the Lord says to Abraham, by the sweat of your face, you're going to eat the bread until you return to the ground. You're going to work hard, and then you're going to die. It's not encouraging news. You're going to work really hard. It's going to be so difficult, but wait till the finish. No, you're going to... You're going to return to the dust. You're broken because sin has entered. And Romans 8 talks about sin entering and because of sin, death and judgment. And so we feel that in the brokenness in our, in our bodies. Uh, how much do we spend to try to pretend that we're not getting older? 
Like how much do we spend on, on creams and dyes and different things to gym memberships to try to pretend that we're not as old as we actually are? And when we ask someone, how old do you think we are, what, what are we hoping? That they'll guess 10 years under our age. We all want to be younger than we are. We all want to have less effects of aging than what we experience or what we see when we look in the mirror. Think about when you were younger. You used to ride your bike, no helmet, fall off, feel a hole in your jeans. No big deal. You get back on and you ride the rest of the day. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have gotten hurt getting out of bed? Just stepping out of bed. Stepping into your car. Stepping out of your car. Think of all the things that you've done in life that have been dangerous and risky. Some of you have jumped off cliffs. Some of you have done all sorts of, enorm- of incredible things. We get hurt getting out of bed. Right? Our bodies are broken. Right? They're broken. We're losing hair in places we want to keep it. We're getting hair and. What does Jesus want us to do as we, uh, as we come to terms with this brokenness? As we see it, right? As we see it, it's not what we want. We think this isn't how it should be. What does Jesus ask of us? What does he affirm in these four individuals? Do you see the, do you see the way that he affirms uh, their faith, faith as the path to receiving Jesus' healing? Um, really, with all four, I think we can clearly show Uh, their faith. In verse 20, to the lady, he says, your faith has made you well. To the blind men, when they come in, what does Jesus say? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I can? Do you believe that I will? Do you believe that I'm good? Do you believe? They say, yes. He says, let it be unto you according to your belief. I think with the religious leader, we can make the same case, although it's not as explicit. Who was this religious leader? How are religious leaders painted in Scripture? Are they painted as friends of Jesus or as opponents of Jesus? Critics of Jesus or people that are early adopters, quick to follow? They're painted as uh, opponents, as critics, that they're dismissive. It's fair to say that this religious leader was probably dismissive, was probably a critic of Jesus, and he's probably coming to Jesus as the last resort after trying everything else because he's got a lot to lose as a public figure who has been opposed to Jesus, and now he comes to Jesus on his hands and knees, saying, when it comes down to it, you're the only one who can do anything about my situation. Even the demon-oppressed man, uh, we see that he's brought to Jesus. Somebody knows that Jesus can do something about this. And so even faith uh, there. What's fascinating to me is that all these people seem to come to Jesus despite the existence of reasons that we use that keep us often from coming to Jesus. The religious leader, dismissive, critic, possibly even combative. Some of us in this room have at one point in our lives been dismissive of Jesus, possibly combative of Jesus, a uh, critic of Jesus. It would say, if, if that's you, don't let your past disbelief keep you from allowing Jesus to be your present and your future relief. Some of us are there. That's who we've been. That's maybe who we are. How about the uh, unclean woman? Do you think she didn't wake up every morning and look in the mirror and all she saw was unclean? She walked through town and people went, made sure they didn't get near her. She's at Fred Meyer and no one goes in her checkout line as she uh, shows up ar- around town and, and hears whispers and sees people pointing and telling her kids, don't get near that one. 
think she looks in the mirror and sees anything other than unclean? Some of us look in the mirror and all we see is unclean. But she goes to Jesus. A takeaway for us is don't let the fact that you see yourself as unclean, don't let the fact that other people see yourself, you, you as unclean keep you from getting to the one who wants to make you well. The same with the blind, same with the, the demon-oppressed man. I think, gosh, this demon-oppressed man, uh, talk about feeling futile, feeling hopeless, feeling ensnared in what is evil and in, in what is consuming. Um, there's something that you're ensnared with right now, some way that sin has great power over you right now. Give Jesus a chance to show you that he has power over what appears to have power over you. Faith, run to Jesus. That's faith. Now, you know what? A, a, a deterrent of faith, is, a significant deterrent of faith in our lives is the illusion of control, the illusion of self-sufficiency. Our sense that we can take care of everything, we've got life under control. We can manage our sin. We can make the decisions that we think we need to make today. There's no big ones, so I think that I can handle that in part. That's why uh, our prayer life, maybe normally when circumstances are uh, somewhat reasonable. Uh, prayer life is, is very moderate, and then we get bad news. Something happens to someone that we love, and all of a sudden, there's a massive spike in prayer. All of a sudden, we've discovered we're not in control. All of a sudden, we've discovered we don't have all the answers. All of a sudden, we've discovered we can't fix what's broken. A significant deterrent to faith, to following, to believing and obeying, is this illusion, this uh, illusion of control, this illusion of self-sufficiency. It's what happens at our house when uh, my kids say, I wish I was the dad, I want to be the boss, I want to make the rules. What are they saying? They don't need me. They can provide for themselves better than I can. They can shoulder the burden or the responsibility of parenting and providing uh, better than I can. And how do they express that sort of that, that uh, arrogant, um, how do they express that arrogant posture? They say, I, I want to be the boss. What do we do with Jesus? I want to be the boss. You know who doesn't want to be the boss? A father of a daughter who has just passed away. A dad who's just realized he can't control that. He can't fix that. You know who doesn't want to be the boss? A woman who's had an illness for 12 years, who's tried everything to fix that illness, and has discovered in a very personal and meaningful way that she does not possess what it takes to fix what is broken about her. You know who doesn't want to be the boss? Two blind guys who need help getting to the restroom who are dependent on others every second of every day of their lives and can do nothing for themselves but beg. They don't want to be the boss. Demon oppressed man? It's why so often the Lord's best work in our lives, his best work in our hearts happens in very difficult seasons, mostly because we're so stubborn and hard-headed that we don't learn otherwise, but we, we have to be humbled. We have to have our hands taken off the wheel in order to be open to his work. And so, so often his best work is done in some of our most difficult moments. But they all have faith. They all come to Jesus, they all believe, and they're all healed. We're reminded that nothing is too broken. Nothing is broken beyond his repair. Faith is what he asks of us in our brokenness, to just run to him, not from him, to have our brokenness be something that drives us to the one who can heal rather than trying to be the answer to all of our questions, the solution to all of our problems, the navigation to all of our 
confusion. Last point this morning, number three, our brokenness reminds us that Jesus will one day make all things new. Our brokenness now, the fact that this man's daughter died, the fact that this lady had a 12-year illness, the fact that these men were blind, the the fact that this individual was oppressed by a demon, our brokenness right now reminds us that Jesus will one day make all things new, but that he hasn't yet. And so uh, one of the things that we want to do is is figure out how to take our focus off of our circumstances and begin to look forward more. The picture I get is my daughter Rochelle driving a little red power wheel convertible down the street with two or three friends in the car and she's not looking forward. She's looking over at us with a wild-eyed look on her face going as fast as that little car will let her go. No idea if there's cars, real cars, in front of her. She's just excited by what's happening. She's looking around at everyone, looking at her co-pilot in the car. They're laughing. Their eyes are open. Their eyes are closed, but they're not looking forward and as a parent, that freaks me out and I run and I grab and I and I stop them because if you're not looking forward, you're headed for trouble. How, how do we look forward to what Jesus is doing? Can we get a better picture of what he's doing so that we can look forward to that and know that in spite of the brokenness that we see, that he will one day make all things new? And so I want to spend uh, the remaining time that we have trying to just paint a little bit of picture of what Jesus is doing, what when it says that the one seated on the throne will make all things new in Revelation 21.5, I want to just talk about that for a few minutes as it relates to the broken world that we see around us and as it relates to our broken bodies, our physical bodies, this idea of a resurrected or a restored body, a resurrected or a restored world. Um, some verses that I want us to look at. Uh, first is Romans 8, 20 through 23. Uh, then we're going to read in Isaiah and then Amos Uh, We'll kind of be all over the place uh, for these last uh, few verses. I want us to get a clearer sense. I think without a clear sense of what's coming, it's very hard to get excited about it. Without a clear sense of what we're doing, it's very hard to get excited about it. Genesis 3 uh, reminds us that creation is bound up in our sin. It has an effect on creation. Creation that around us is hostile. It is not as God intended. Even the good things we see are not as beautiful as they will be one day. Romans 8 gives us a theological framework for that. Romans 8, 20 through 23. It says, for the creation, creation, the world, dirt, plants, birds, the trees, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That all of creation groans, anticipating Jesus' return, anticipating being made new, anticipating... um, Paradise lost in the garden being paradise remade, paradise restored one day when Jesus returns. Everywhere we look, we see a broken version, a less beautiful version, a more hostile version of the creation that the Lord intended for us. Uh, Let's describe what that restored paradise will look like. Isaiah 35. 
And so there's just a whole bunch of places in, in Scripture you can go, and depending on how you uh, interpret Old Testament prophecy, uh, many are going to see a, a lot of Old Testament prophecy finding its ultimate fulfillment in this new heaven and, and new earth. And so Isaiah 35, 1, describes, uh, describes a restored world uh, this way. Isaiah 35.1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice. Some of you, if you have an NASB instead of desert, it says, it says Arabah, and that's an area south of the Dead Sea. And so if you've looked at pictures of the Middle East, uh, ugly, right? Not the most beautiful place. Um, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. You can Google search crocus later. It's a vibrant, uh, beautiful, um, purple, dark purple flower. Uh, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Uh, and, and so one of the things that we understand about the restored world, the new heaven and the new earth, is it will be more beautiful than what we can possibly imagine. So those of you that love to garden, you have a favorite flower, you have a favorite tree, you have a favorite plant, uh, and, and you work hard to make that thing grow and, and not die, um, what will it be like when all effects, all the stain, all the residue of sin is eradicated and it's made new as God intended. Uh, one, it will be beautiful. Uh, Amos talks about it not just being beautiful, but it will be uh, bountiful. Amos 9.13 is a, uh, another place you probably haven't turned in a while. Let me read Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, and the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it it will be beautiful it will be bountiful even places that are unproductive where nothing good grows will it says drip with sweet wine and so we get this picture of this uh, agricultural um, just whatever a good word is the mother load uh, it will be beautiful it will be bountiful and so I might say, think about a place that you've been that has been beautiful. I was in Cannon Beach this last week at an Alliance uh, workshop. And you know what's really pretty is Haystack Rock with the huge waves crashing that are crashing right now, uh, with the sand, with the fog, and then when a little bit of sun comes through and then driving down the coast afterwards as the sun breaks through and you see those huge sweeping uh, jagged coastlines uh, and the sand, that, that's beautiful. That is just a pale version, a tainted version of what will it will be beautiful, it will be bountiful, and there will be peace. Uh, you can read all of Isaiah 65 on your own. Uh, we'll be here till noon if I read it all on my own. So um, let me read you a few things that talk about what this land will be like. Isaiah, from Isaiah 65, uh, the new heaven and the new earth, from verse 17, Isaiah 65, 17, the former things will not be remembered. It will be so great that we will not remember the former things. Um, it will be so great that we won't look back on former things and think, oh man, I missed that. That was good. Where, you know, where is that? Verse 19, the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. There will be peace over all of the earth. The sound of weeping and crying will be no more. Verse 22, they will enjoy the work of their hands. So work's going to be fun. So for some of you, work is kind of fun. For some of you, work is not fun at 
all, and every day you're reminded it, it's not fun at all. It says we will enjoy the work uh, of our hands. Isaiah 65, 25 says the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. In other words, there will be harmony amongst creatures um, and amongst our restored uh, humanity, that, that there will be peace. We will walk together. They will be out in the field grazing together. I mean, can you, can you imagine what that level of peace is like where, again, all hostility, all the effects of sin are removed and the peace of God, the glory of God, uh, covers the face of the earth, like Scripture says, as, as water, a, a sea. Uh, what will that look like? And, and isn't that kind of a different picture than thinking about um, being in heaven, sitting on a cloud, um, playing the harp forever, um, singing forever, wearing some sort of choir robe. I, I mean, isn't, isn't that a different picture where we look forward to restored creation, paradise lost, paradise regained forever and ever and ever? If, parad- if, if creation is beautiful, imagine what the crown jewel of God's creation will be. Imagine what we'll be like when we're made new. Many in the Bible think that we'll be made new in a similar way to Jesus' resurrected uh, body. Here's some verses that you can look up. I'll read a few that talk about that. Um, Romans 8.23 reminds us that we are anticipating the redemption of our bodies. It reminds us that part of being made new will be a resurrected uh, body. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. And again, read the whole chapter. Here's some highlights. Um, in the middle of chapter 15, uh, Paul describes our resurrected bodies as being the equivalent of putting a seed in the ground. A small, tiny, uh, bland kernel goes in, and something big and beautiful sprouts out. What sprouts out is disproportionately beautiful and grand compared to what went in the ground and compares our earthly bodies to that seed. Uh, And then our spiritual bodies, our heavenly bodies, our resurrected bodies to that big, beautiful thing that grows out of that very small and insignificant seed. From verse 38, we read that our bodies will be given by God. Uh, from verse 39, we see that we won't all be the same. There'll be, some, there'll be some variance. From verse 40, we see the splendor of the heavenly bodies will be something altogether different. In other words, it will exceed our imagination. So maybe you thought, well, gosh, I hope I come back with more hair and like three inches taller. Um, it, they will exceed our imagination. So whatever the best thing you can possibly imagine is as a resurrected body, it's better than that. Verse 42 says our bodies go into the ground perishable. Our resurrected bodies come out imperishable. They're incorruptible. So there's going to be no more flu season, right? There's going to be no more uh, headaches. Uh, there's going to be no more food allergies. Uh, whatever, whatever it is for you, our bodies will be imperishable. They will be incorruptible. Verse 43 says they will go into the ground with dishonor and with weakness, and they will be raised in honor and power. That's kind of fun to think about, especially if you've watched any of the Avengers movies recently. Verse 48, earthly bodies are from dust and for dust, but our heavenly bodies will be made to flourish there. They will be made to flourish in heaven where we will be forever. How, how do we respond to um, 
just starting to get a picture of what Jesus is doing, specifically as it relates to our resurrected bodies and to a restored, paradise lost, paradise restored, a a new creation, this idea of a new heaven and a new earth. And and Paul actually speaks to this at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and he says, be immovable. Give yourself to the Lord's work. Your work is not in vain. In other words, despite what you see around you, despite what you see outside that looks like evil is prospering, despite what you see that looks like you're serving the Lord or your work for him is in vain, Paul says it's not in vain. Give yourself to your work. And at the end of that chapter, he says, praise God who has given us the victory. So in some ways, we're supposed to savor and enjoy the victory even while we're in the struggle, in the striving. And it's almost like watching a football game that you have recorded or you've DVR'd, and so someone may have blown it and ruined your day by telling you who's going to win the game, but you still watch the game anyway, uh, and you know that your team comes out ahead. So when they start slow in the first quarter, when there's a bunch of turnovers or when they're not playing well, when a key player gets injured, when things don't go well, it's okay because you know how the game ends up. And so that's, we can't say that lightly to dismiss our pain and difficulty and suffering uh, in this life, but we can say that such that no matter what happens, nothing is broke beyond Jesus' repair in this life, and nothing is broke that won't be restored uh, in the next. And so that's just something that we wrestle with uh, in this in-between um, this has been a, a rough stretch for our church uh, from health. Uh, some of you know that Joanna Johnson had a stroke this weekend. It's not a good stroke. It's going to be a long road for her. Um, my family, my dad got bad health news uh, this week, and so we don't know if we have tons and tons of time, and we don't know if we have a short amount of time. How do we look to the future when there's still great pain great difficulty uh, today from the entirety uh, of the word of God. We see that our future is secure. We see that there is nothing that is broken beyond his repair. Jesus asks faith of us, regardless of our brokenness, regardless of our part in it, regardless of how much control it has over us, we run to Jesus rather than running from him. And that we're reminded When things are broken in us and around us, we're reminded that one day all will be made new. And so I would suggest to you that our brokenness, our pain, our difficulty isn't evidence that God's not good, is not evidence that God is lacking in power, is not evidence that God is lacking in interest or concern for you or for your well-being. It's a reminder that the world is exactly the way that he said it would be and that Jesus came to make all things new. He's actively making all things new. Adam was created in the image of God to take dominion over the world. We are actively right now being remade in the image of Jesus to one day rule and reign with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. So we look forward with hope, trusting that we have a God who has power over this world, knowing that we live in the middle. If you're here and this has just been a hard time to, to live in the middle, physical ailments or otherwise, I would encourage you at the end of the service to take advantage of one of the prayer teams that will be up here and just share that and, and receive prayer and have people go on that journey with you. If you're here and you need to 
Do you need help just looking to the future? You're like my daughter in that car, looking off into the, the side at everything around and not looking down the road, not looking forward, not looking at the future, and maybe you're feeling like your car is about to crash because you're looking everywhere but down the road. We'd love to be a part of that with you too and, and help pray that the Lord gives you what you need each day to keep your eyes up even if the circumstances don't get better. Because at the end of the day, we are reminded that each of us is from dust and we will go back to dust. But that's not the end of the story. Let's pray. Lord, fill us with a, a great sense of who you are and of what has already been done for us and what will one day be completed for our well-being, Lord, for your glory and our highest good. And so in our circumstances, in our ugly circumstances, Lord, in our difficulty, our relationships, our physical brokenness, the brokenness that we see in the world around us, the things that we wish weren't as they are, the way that the things that we see that are broken and we wish they weren't, that we'd like to fix, but we have come to the conclusion that we can't. Lord, for those in here who feel like their time is run out, that they've tried everything and it hasn't worked and there's nothing but to look forward to, but the expectation of more bad days. May all of this drive us to you. May we run to you like each of these individuals today and find healing. And Lord, we know some of us are going to find physical healing in an extraordinary way. Some of us are going to have to wait till you return for that healing. Lord, may we wait fully engaged in the work that you've given us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.